Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, as well as chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you're seated, I invite you to pray again with me. Father, it's my prayer for us this morning that you would meet us and that you would, you would still our hearts. We have this awesome text on, on prayer. And Father, we want to be still. We want to just be quiet and know that you're God. And leave this place knowing that you are our Father. So you offer us in Jesus Christ that you are our loving Father. So Father, I, I pray that, that you would just help us to hear that and to know it and to be changed by the love that you have for us in Jesus. That's my prayer. I ask it by the power of your Spirit, and in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so today, once again, we're in our Sermon on the Mount. Not our Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I should say. And our second sermon in chapter 6. So we're, that's where we're at. And in this sermon so far, Jesus has been teaching us I keep saying this, I'm going to say it again and again and again until it's over. He's been teaching us how to flourish as human beings. He's teaching us how to live as the new humanity that is in Christ Jesus. He's calling us to follow him, and he's been instructing us about his righteousness, about how to live in a way that is right in this world. And it's not what we expected, is it? It's not what we expected. C.S. Lewis um, he was once criticized for liking the Apostle Paul. He's one of the writers of the New Testament, and he, he wrote a, a bunch of letters there. Uh, C.S. Lewis is a famous writer. He was once criticized for liking the Apostle Paul more than he liked Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. It's a public criticism. And so C.S. eventually got around, Lewis eventually got around to responding to this criticism uh, in an essay, and he said this. He says, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount. If caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. Amen. Lewis is right. The, the Sermon on the Mount we've experienced, we know it's heavy hitting. It's like Jesus doesn't let us off the hook time and again as we go through. We come to this sermon, we have a certain confidence, like, I've got this. I'm a pretty great guy. 
you know, no problem, Jesus. And you start reading it and you just you sink down lower and lower and lower and you feel the weight of it. Jesus knocks down our self-righteousness, but he does it in order to form in us something better. To invite us to be changed by him and to be formed by his true and his greater righteousness. And he shows us, he says, guys, you need to realize checking religious boxes, it's not good enough. Doing some things over here and not doing other things over here, that's not what I've called you to. It's more than that. Because God wants your heart, not just your external actions. God wants you to live in a way as a precious and beloved child that you delight in your father's pleasure. You delight in his love. You rejoice in his love so that your love is for him and your love flows or his love for you flows out of you towards the people around you in your life. You care for them. You love them deeply. And as you do that, as someone whose heart has been changed, it results in glory and praise and honor, not to you, but to God who has worked a miracle. He gets the praise and he gets the glory. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, this is the passage that we're in this morning, Jesus continues chipping away at our hearts. He continues just getting in deeper and deeper and deeper and exposing all of our motivations in our religious and our spiritual practices. And in this section, in verses 1 to 18, he gives us three examples. We're going to take four sermons to go through all three examples. We've covered the first one, the example of our giving and our personal piety. And today we're going to be the first of two sermons on prayer. And then we'll finish with a sermon on fasting. And all the while, Jesus is exposing and teaching us about his greater righteousness and applying it to our prayer lives. So our outline this morning is this. Our outline is this. We're going to look at praying for praise, praying for peace, and the freedom of the gospel. Praying for praise, praying for peace, and the freedom of the gospel. So as we jump into our text, let's look first at chapter 6, verse 1, and also verse 5. Jesus says this. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So this morning we've read 6 verse 1 along with 6 verse 5 twice already. And there's a reason for that. Um, The reason for that is this. is 6 verse 1, it stands as the heading kind of thesis statement for all of verses 1 to 18. So it really belongs at the beginning of each example. The example of giving, the example of prayer, and then lastly, the example of fasting. So we're reading it to kind of keep that all in mind that way. And what Jesus is saying through that, that thesis statement and communicating this main point is this. The main point is this. In all three examples, the main point is that our motivations in all of our religious practice, that, that they matter just as much as our actions. God's interested in knowing who are you aiming to please? Who are you serving? Is your motivation to bring me glory? Is your motivation to bring you glory? It's the main point that he's driving in this whole time. And then here in verse 5, Jesus moves on and speaks specifically about prayer. And he critiques religious hypocrites. He critiques critiques them for praying in a way that said one thing outwardly, but that was deeply misaligned with what was happening deeply and internally in their own hearts. 
what was going on. What was going on was this. These hypocrites, they use prayer not to be close to God. Not to, not to live in relationship with God, but in order to impress the people around them. I want, to, I want to let that sink in. Just stop and think about that for a second. This God who loves us, this God who gives himself in compassion and mercy and relationship to us, the God who created us, the God who reaches down into the lives of sinners and cares for them. This God, he has made a way for us to talk to him, to be in relationship with him. He's invited us into that. But religious hypocrisy, it takes that, that prayer and it uses it for a different end. It uses it to publicize it for their own advantage to solicit the praise of the people around them through prayer versus living and existing in relationship with God through prayer. Look again at chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, For they, the religious hypocrite, they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, out in public, for this one reason, that they might be seen by others. They love the praise of of men. I think praying for the praise of other people is kind of like this. I think it's kind of like a person who needs to chronicle every romantic gesture on Instagram. You've never met any of those people. I'm sure you've never seen them. But just bear with me for a second. And imagine, imagine that you go on a first date, right? And imagine that, that on your first date, uh, this person, they arrive at your door and as they arrive at your door and they, they maybe they give you some flowers or I don't know, we're not, we're going to be gender inclusive here, whether it's male or female as the one who comes to the door, whatever the guy gives, whatever the girl gives, they arrive, but you, you look up, you look up and they, they have their cell phone up and they're live streaming it. And you, and you think, okay, well, that's unusual, but maybe it's kind of cute. I, I don't know. And so you go along with it. But as the date progresses, you realize that, that every flower, every quiet and intimate moment, every stage of the meal, everything that is said is, is a moment for this person to take their cell phone and be like, hey guys, I'm just here with so-and-so. Man, they're looking so cute. And uh, we're, we've been here for 30 minutes. We're having these great conversations. Anyway, bye-bye. <laughs> and they're, they're using it as a platform uh, for their social media account to get more followers. And you're wondering after a while, like, why am I even here? Am I just an accessory to this person having a greater following? Is this about me at all? Is this about me at all? I'll be honest. I think some of us struggle um, to see the ugliness of this because it's just so prevalent all around us. I mean, after all, when was the last time you went uh, to a park and watched a family hang out together and like they're all on the phone? You know, this relationship for existing for, for one another is used to just kind of to chronicle everything for all the people that might be watching somewhere else. We do this a lot, but it's ugly. It's shallow. And it's not true relationship and love to use relationships in a way to posture to get followers for yourself, to get the attention of other people. But religious hypocrites... 
they, they do this with their prayer lives. They do it with their prayer lives. And let's be honest, we're not talking about the person next to you. We're talking about, about me, and we're talking about you. I distinctly remember one of my pastors teaching about prayer when I was at seminary. And, and we're, we're in this, this prayer meeting together as a church, and he's, he's sharing from his heart. He's talking about the way that when he was young, he remembers praying in a way that just cared so much about all the other people around him in the room. And the line that he said, it stuck with me for seven years. He said, I'm pretty sure that day that, that none of my prayers made it past the ceiling. And the thing is, I remember this because when he said that to me, when he said it to this group that I was in, I was convicted. And I thought, that's me. That's me. I'm exactly like that. I was at a brand new church that I'd never been to before. Uh, it was a church that became my home church when I was at seminary. And um, I, so I, it's kind of an awkward meeting anyway. Like the way that they prayed was a bit public and, and hard. And especially if you're new, it felt a bit weird. Um, and then beyond that, it was a church full of seminary students. So I came there thinking like, man, like how could I possibly say anything? Because I guarantee whatever I say will be wrong somehow. Like these people know things about God that I don't know. You know, I got to be careful about what I say. I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And for a ridiculously long period of my life, I cared far more about how my prayers sounded to other people than I did about my prayers in relationship to God. Again, Jesus, he drives home the warning here in verse 5. He says, in Matthew 6, 5, he says, Truly I say to you, when you pray like that, they've received their reward. If you pray for the praise of others, if your concern is for the intention, the attention of the people around you, then your reward will be the attention of the people around you. That will be your reward. Not the blessing of knowing God intimately as Father. Not the blessing and the richness of knowing his love for you. Not the blessings and the hope of all that he promises to us in Christ Jesus. But just, just the people around you being like, wow, that guy's got a lot of good things to say when he prays. You see, Jesus knows that we live for the praise of others, and he warns us about it. But his warning is coming from this amazing place of compassion because he knows, he warns us because he knows when we're consumed with the praise of other people, we're ignoring something that's far better. Not slightly better, but far better. We're ignoring the love and the acceptance of our Father. Just look at verse 6. Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus says this. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus here, he invites us into something that's so much deeper. That's so much better than the praise of men. He says, when you pray, don't think about those other people. Just go and be somewhere quiet with God. Just stop. Be still before God. And then pray to him from from the secret place. This verse is not anti-public prayer, by the way. It's not literally saying don't pray anywhere in public. It's saying that wherever you pray, whether public or private, pay attention to your heart. 
And just stop and be quiet before God. And your Father who sees in secret, your Father who knows your heart, He'll see it. You spend time with Him. He'll love you. He'll reward you. And He'll be with you. Listen, Jesus wants to rescue us from slavery to the praise of men. Praise God. He wants to rescue us from slavery to the praise of men. And he has something infinitely better to offer us. In verse 6, I think you can think about it this way. I think in verse 6, Jesus is kind of like this. He's like, look, no more $5 box wine already. Enough of it. That stuff is crap. Is what I've got is I've got vintage Bordeaux. Come to me and you will never think about the box wine again. There's something better for you. And he invites us out of the shallow praise of men and into the joy of knowing the love and the praise and the delight of our heavenly Father. And unlike me talking about wine, Jesus actually, Jesus actually knows what he's talking about. I'm just posturing and trying to like identify with a couple people in the crowd. I, have, I know nothing about what I'm pretending to talk about. Jesus is the greatest connoisseur on earth who's ever lived of the delights and the abundance and the blessings of the love of his father. He knows them more than anyone. Let me show you. See, not long before our passage, Jesus went down to the Jordan River and he was baptized there. And after his baptism, God declared audibly over Jesus for all to hear the words of Matthew 3, verse 17. It's coming up out of the water, the sun shining. The spirit descends as a dove on Jesus. And God the Father says this. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the significance of this statement is that it's only made about Jesus. Lots of people were coming and getting baptized by John as a sign of their repentance from sin and and turning towards God and his kingdom. But only Jesus has this said over him. God singles him out and he says, this one, only this one is my beloved son. With this one, I am well pleased in Jesus. Why is that? Well, it's for this reason. It's because where each of us lives for ourselves, where each of us has sin that is so deep that it has stained our very hearts and our souls. Where each of us operates out of a fundamental selfishness and self-love. Where each of us, I think, habitually rejects obedience and praise to God our Father who has given us every breath. Where each of us lives for our own praise, Jesus is different. Jesus lived in perfection as a son. And he always obeyed. He always loved. He always delighted in his father. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. And the richness of the pure love of God the Father was and is always and perfectly his. 
The father delights in his son. The father delights in his son. There's something even more incredible than this because this statement at the Jordan River about 2,000 years ago, that wasn't the first time that this love began. This love and, and that statement, it reflects something that's older and deeper and far richer than even that one expression of that love at that moment. Because far before God the Son took on human flesh and came to earth, far before that, Jesus eternally existed with Father and Spirit in rich and deep, self-giving delight and love. That means this. Listen to this. That means that the Father's joy and delight in His Son, that it has no beginning and it has no end. I want you to just take a second and and picture a time where you've seen the delight of a father for their son. Something that stuck out, sticks out to you. You you see someone delighting in their child. I I have a memory of this of my own that is, it always comes to mind when I think about this. There's a guy that I knew back at seminary and he was a bit older and he had uh, a son much later in life. He's a, I think he had a number of, of painful things in, in his history. And this man, I think for all those reasons and more, he delighted in his son. And it was so evident. It's almost been two or so when I remember this story I'm going to tell you. And I remember one time I'm outside and we was, there was an outdoor pool at the seminary. And, and this, this man, he's just playing with his son. He's throwing him up in the air and splashing him down in the water and throwing him up again. And as they're doing so, He's locking eyes with his son. And he's completely self-forgetful. He's 100% forgotten about anybody else around him. And he's delighting in his boy. He's richly loving his son. Forgotten about other people around, and he just existed in a moment of ecstasy and sublime self-forgetfulness. He's perfectly content, perfectly pleased with his boy, perfectly filled with delight in the presence of his son. But that moment captured in my mind when I remember the delight of, of this man in his son, just so beautiful. That moment is only a, a shadowy and a pale reflection of a better son, a better father, and a far greater and more perfect love. The love of the Father God for his son, Jesus Christ. But you know, that there's something that's unbelievable about this love. It's this, it's through Jesus, God the Father offers this love to you. Not a a lesser kind of love. Not like the leftover pieces of that love. But the very love that he has. The delight that he has for Jesus. That's the love that he offers to you. As you trust in Jesus' death for you and his life for you. You see, God works a miracle. And his miracle is that he takes you and he unites you to Jesus. 
unites you to Jesus in such a way that the very love and the delight that the Father has for Jesus, now you're in Jesus. And His Spirit's in you. And you stand in the full weight of the waterfall of God the Father's love for Jesus Christ poured out for you. It's yours. It's not different. It's the same. Though you haven't earned it, though you didn't exist in eternity past in relationship with God the Father, though you've been deeply unfaithful and sinful, though you've turned away from God time and time again, the Father draws you near. He draws you near and he unites you with his Son and showers you with his love. He takes you, an outcast orphan, right, with deep brokenness and problems and a pretty shady history, He takes you and he brings you into his family. Not as a secondary son, not as a someone, hey, you can go and hang out out back. We got a bit of a a stable in the back room. You can live there and be part of the family. No, he takes you into his home and into his presence and showers you with the inheritance that he's given to Jesus. He delights in you as he delights in Jesus, the apple of his eye. I want you to listen to Jesus' prayer for us in John chapter 17. Look at verses 22 and 23 to hear how Jesus drives us home. Jesus prays to the Father. This this incredible intimate prayer that we have in the Bible between Father and Son. And he prays this. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And then look at this line. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. And loved them, even as you love me. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Why do I say all this? What's the connection with praying for the praise of men? It's this. If you want to be freed from living for the praise of other people, there's one solution, and it's this. Delight yourself in better praise. Delight yourself in better love. Delight yourself in greater joy. Look, once you've tasted the love of the Father, you're not going to go back to the box line of the praise of other people around you. It's just so much better. There's no comparison. And knowing the love of the Father and entering into his presence through prayer, quietly seeking him and spending time with him, knowing him and growing with him, that's going to begin to cure you of your need to be praised by other people. You need to hear this. You seek the praise of the people around you because you don't know the love of the Father very well. That's why. That's why. But what Jesus offers you is a way to know that love beyond your wildest imagination. He's inviting you in. He's calling you into his love. So I want to encourage you, what what would it take for you then to respond to that invitation and actually pursue it? To receive it. 
What changes would you have to make to be like, okay, this is what Jesus offers and I don't know much of it. I want it. I want it. I want that love. What would you do to get it? What would you do to to reschedule your life to have more time in the word? To have more time to pray by yourself, to pray with others in the church? To have more time to just surround yourself with the, the family of God in the church? To grow to know and to delight and to serve this God in this way and to know his love for you? He's inviting you in. He's inviting you in. In this text, Jesus invites us into prayer that's characterized by seeking God and delighting in relationship with him. But he also invites us into something else. He invites us as well into prayer that is anxiety-free. That sounds pretty good. Anxiety-free prayers. I'd I'd like to hear more about that. He's inviting us into prayer that is truly prayer that's full of peace. Look at our second point this morning, praying for peace, and then also verse 7. <clears throat> Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So first notice the way that, that here Jesus is making a contrast between two groups of people. He's already spoken about the religious hypocrite and the way that they seek the praise of other people. But now in verse 7, he moves to a different kind of prayer that's wrong, a different kind of people. He's talking about the, the anxious Gentile. The anxious Gentile, this person who doesn't have a privileged relationship with the God of the universe. The language for that in the Bible, the language for the person that's not Jewish in Scripture is a Gentile. Is there's these people and they don't know God and they pray by heaping up empty phrases, Jesus says. If you're wondering what heaping up empty phrases looks like, just think, just think of mantras. Something that you recite over and over and over again where the meaning of that recitation doesn't actually matter as much as getting yourself into the right state of mind. It's empty, meaningless phrases. And they pray that way because they think they'll be heard, Jesus says, because of or for their many words. The problem here is this. The problem that Gentiles have is that they don't know the true God as their father. They don't know him as their father. And because of that, they think that God will listen to them if they say the right thing. They think if if I work hard enough at figuring out the incantation the right way, then God's going to hear me. And they anxiously try to get the attention of the divine. They feel pressed in their lives. They feel vulnerable. And they're like, I need to know what's out there and how to, how to have it come and help me here. And they work hard at figuring out the solution, the formula to have that be present with me here. And they think they'll be heard for their many words. But now... Before all of you feel super enlightened and superior to a bunch of ancient babbling Gentiles, let me say this. I don't think you and I are that different. I think in a lot of the ways, a lot of ways we're the same. After all, I think that we certainly are vulnerable like they are vulnerable. Right? And our anxieties press in on us, on our lives, and it causes us to react outward in prayer in a certain way. We're vulnerable. I think there are a few things that are more fundamental to who we are as human beings than our frailty. We are frail. We're like grass, which the wind blows away and it's gone. 
Our lives are short. Our financial security is fickle. Our health is compromised. And you might be the queen of the world one moment. 2020, I, I am winning in every area of my life. But then 2021 comes along and it's different. The ground beneath your feet is unsteady. You are vulnerable. We are vulnerable as human beings. I'm living this right now. <laughs> this is my life. December, let me tell you, looked very different for me and my family than January or February. February 5th, Heather and I thought about our lives and our family and the health of my daughter very differently than we did February 6th. See, since February 6th, my daughter's been struggling with epilepsy. She's had over uh, 25 or 30 seizures since, since January 6th. And we're in the midst of that. Everything's changed. Everything has changed for us. We realize we are a lot more vulnerable than we thought we were. We're contending with that. I'm vulnerable. I feel raw and exposed. But the thing is, I know you do too. We're vulnerable people. And in that vulnerability, Jesus speaks to us. Because he knows that we pray in moments when we're vulnerable and anxious, that we pray not in the confidence that God is our Father who loves us and who cares for us, but like anxious Gentiles, just worried that that if I just somehow get his attention, that he'll help. Somehow I can make him hear me and, and he'll be here. And I think we can focus on the words we say rather than the relationship that we have in that moment. I don't know if you're like this. I'm like this. I worry, have I prayed enough to please him? Enough times? Have I prayed the right words to get God to listen? Have I prayed at the right moments of the day, God, maybe I just need to get up earlier. If I get up earlier, then he'll be pleased with me. If I pray at the right time, then then he'll know and he'll love and he'll care for me. Have I used enough scripture in my prayers? Have I prayed enough scripture for for God to actually be favorable towards me? You know, the funny thing is, the great irony of this section is is that just following it, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer in certain parts of the Christian church, it became a mantra. It became a prayer that's exactly like the anxious prayers of the Gentiles. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and somehow you'll win the favor of a father and his grace. And Jesus says, stop it. He says, enough already. Stop it with the anxious prayers like Gentiles. Stop it. Why? Because of verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, do not be like them. There's a reason for that. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Christ City, hear that. For your Father, he knows what you, you as an individual sitting in this room, he knows what you need before you ask him. Don't pray like Gentiles with anxious words and meaningless phrases. Pray like kids who've got a good dad. Pray like kids who just wander up to dad and like, hey dad, this is what I need. It's like, I know. I'm here for you. It's intimate and it's simple. It's straightforward. It counts on the relationship, not the incantation and the formula of the words.
In Christ City, in your prayers, I think a lot of you need to relax. A lot of you need to rest. Just like I need to relax and I need to rest in my prayer life. What matters isn't the words you say, getting it just right, or the time you take. What matters is you just existing before God as his beloved son. Just standing there and, man, I'm with God. And Father, I love you and I need you. Be confident in your Father's care for you. Listen to the Father's heart for you in Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. There is no one more attentive, more attentive to you than your Heavenly Father. He's literally made every effort to bring you into his presence so that you can talk to him. That's what he's done. He loves you and he cares for you. And get this, because of his love and his care for us, chiefly through Jesus Christ, that means that we're secure in him. We're secure and held tight by him no matter what happens in our lives. In him, because of Jesus, even if you get sick, even if you die or a loved one dies, even if you lose something that you treasure here on earth, in him, you are secure. He's promised you everything in Jesus. He's given you an eternal inheritance and love in Jesus. You're secure. Nothing can take that away from you. He's working all things for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. That's who he is. And this God, this creator and sustainer of the universe, this father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and our father too, this God who is love and who is faithful and who delights in you as his child, he knows your needs and he cares for you. He's not going to ignore you because you don't sound good enough. Look at Isaiah 41, verse 13. Again, just think of this God and his love and his care for you. He's speaking to us this morning. He says, for I, the Lord your God, I hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I'm the one who helps you. Or look at the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Is that awesome or what? There's nothing I love more as a father than to reach down and to have Aryan reach up and hold my hand. It's the father holding us and guiding us and treasuring us by the right hand. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He holds you by your right hand. He's your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. So when you pray, just talk to him. Don't overanalyze it. Please don't overthink it. Just come to him as his beloved child. He loves to hear you and he cares for you. Chris, today, this is the bottom line. Your prayers shouldn't be the prayers of anxious Gentiles who are working on the right formula to get God's attention. It's not how they should be. Your prayer should be the confident conversation of a child that knows the love of their father. That's the difference. That's the difference. As we close, looking at our third point, the freedom of the gospel, I want you to consider this quote from our beloved Anglican theologian, J.I. Packer. He quotes this in, uh, in the book called Knowing God. And again, if you haven't read it and you're interested in knowing God more like this as a father, that's a great place to start, to pick up Knowing God by J.I. Packer. But he says this towards the end of his book. He says, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. And the good news about Jesus is that God has revealed himself as a father who is personally and deeply committed to his children. So in my family, we've been watching a lot of Mary Poppins, all right? And, and we watch a lot of Mary Poppins, I guess, because my kids are that age, or at least maybe, maybe a little early for that age even. Um, but you need to know this. God is not like Mr. Banks. God isn't a rich dad from Victorian England who runs his household like a general with stoicism and distance from the ones he loves. He doesn't get a nanny. Just ship you away to boarding school. He's a God who is intimate with his children. His intimacy and his interest in you as his child, it cost him everything. It cost him everything. It cost him the death of his beloved and cherished son, Jesus Christ, to bring you in and to adopt you. And that love and that intimacy, it's got some incredible applications. Romans 8, 31 to 32 is one of them. If God then is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Read that again. How will he not also with Jesus, the son that we're in, the son through whom we receive the same delight that he has for Jesus, for us, how will he not with, also with Jesus graciously give us everything? All things. Nothing lacking. Christ City, God is for you. God is for you. He likes you and he's proven his love for you by planning with Jesus and the Spirit from before the world was made to save people and bring them to himself to love you and to care for you. Why do you doubt? Why are you anxious? Why do you seek the praise of other people? 
God the Father sent Jesus, the Son he cherishes, to die so that he could adopt you. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we, that's us, Christ City Church, so we might receive adoption as sons. And if you've been triggered this whole time by the, like, the masculine language I've been using, of father and son, we need to stop right here and address the reason that it says sons is because sons in that ancient culture at that time had a special privilege. It was significant that they used that, that men and women in the church together are treated as sons. As the sons of God, because theirs was a special inheritance. And that's given to all of us, man and woman, in Jesus. And because you are sons, whether you're a man or a woman here this morning, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You're a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. If this is what it means for us to to know the good news of Jesus, then that means that you and I can be free this morning. We can be free. We can be freed from seeking the praise of men and freed into the glories of living and knowing and delighting in the love of the Father and just existing for worship and praise to Him. We can be freed from our anxieties and our worry, and our fear, and into the knowledge that God is a Father who cares intimately and deeply and profoundly for us. We can be free. We have the freedom of the glory of the children of God through Jesus Christ who loved us. My prayer for us this week is this, is that as we reflect on the love of the Father and His care for us, that it would it would propel us forward on mission. That we would go out into Vancouver without fear as his witnesses. That we would live and act in the confidence of people who have God as their father. And that in all that we do in our prayers, in our love of our neighbor, in our service of other people, we would exist exclusively to the glory and the praise of God who has so mercifully and graciously loved us. Would you pray with me?